<laughs> see, see Gunner there? He was about to go in. He's like, wait, I'm going to push my brother real quick. Mm, all right. Can't get me once we go up the, uh, through the creepy curtain up the spooky stairs. So what, what a dangerous prayer, you know, asking the Holy Spirit to come rest on us. I, I, think, I think it's both dangerous, but I also think it's, it's the, one of the most life-giving, adventurous prayers that, that we can have. And so if you have your Bibles uh, let's, let's turn them to Luke chapter 6. Uh, the scene we, we entered into last week uh, started with, with Jesus going to the mountain to, to pray uh, where he would spend the entire night up there. Uh, and then as he came down, uh, what, what resulted was the choosing of 12 specific men who would carry the title of apostle. Uh, now, uh, we typically will interchange that their title. We'll call them the apostle. We'll, we'll call them apostles, then we'll call them disciples. And and ultimately, what an apostle is is just a, it's a messenger who is sent with a specific message. Uh, and uh, and so so among his disciples, which were just people who were following him, he chooses twelve to to walk in in tighter and closer community uh, with him and. Uh, and they would be entrusted with Jesus' mission uh, to uh, really show God's love uh, and help people see their need to be made right with God through Jesus. And, and 11 of these men uh, will be instrumental in the launching of the Christian church. And in fact, uh, much of their legacy and much of their efforts are experienced thousands of years later in this very room. And, uh, and right after that, right after he prays and he assembles these men, he comes down from the mountain and, and he encountered what's called a great crowd of disciples uh, and then uh, a great multitude of people from all over the area who, who want to hear him and, and also want to be healed of their diseases. And, and what Luke mentions, uh, really what he makes it a point to mention, is that in, he does this in one verse. He says that when Jesus encounters the people who need to be healed, he healed them all. And then he'll spend the rest of chapter 6 uh, letting us in on uh, some things that Jesus taught. In fact, he'll spend the, the remainder of uh, that chapter giving us this front row seat into to what he teaches. And, and now, uh, what, what follows are, are really just lessons in, in heavenly moral living. And, and now, not, not a full list of all moral things, but, but, but Jesus will address kind of four areas of our lives where the world's perspective and the gospel's perspective, uh, for lack of better words, are colliding. And, and he started by, by, by saying, uh, this is where we were last week, he starts by saying how wealth without Jesus is doomed. And then how poverty with Jesus is blessed. And again, it seems backwards, right? That's, that's not the way we tend uh, to think through some of uh, when we think of, of wealth and we think of poverty. And, and I think that, that thought runs counter to many of our own thoughts, even as, as believers. Because what happens is, is we run the risk of, of believing that wealth is the sign of God's blessing. And so, so we think, okay, I want to be under God's blessing, and so I want to pursue wealth, and, and then therefore God will like me the most. And, uh, and then what, what Jesus does is he's going to say that, that we can be happy, 
uh, that we can, we can walk in the blessing of God in the midst of poverty and hunger and weeping and, and even in uh, the face of persecution when, when we are hated on account of the Son of, of Man. And so, so because we are God's people, we have access to God's kingdom and that changes what we consider blessing. And, and now, we ended last week really in, in a similar place that we're going to end uh, today. And it's just asking ourselves a question that, that with, with such competing uh, perspectives, someone has to be right. So who is it? Is Jesus going to be right or is the world going to be right? Uh, because we're going to line up with, with one of those two options. And, and now, if last week, if you came to the conclusion uh, that the world was right. Uh, first, thanks for showing back up. Um, but if you came to that conclusion, you said, okay, the world's right, uh, then, then I'm just going to give you a, a fair warning. I think you're going to have a hard time uh, finding room in your heart for Jesus' words today uh, as we walk into some of the hardest, uh, some of the most painful moments you will ever experience in your life. And my prayer for us today is that, that we would not just give Jesus some consideration here, uh, but that we would rather, uh, in faith, submit our hearts to Him. Uh, that, that we would know that God's best way for us to live is when we are applying uh, the teaching that comes from His Word, specifically uh, from uh, the, the mouth of Jesus. Now, now fair warning about this um, Jesus is going to say some things today that will be so applicable that you can't run away from it, okay? So, like, like you won't be able to say, well, what does he really mean when he says these things? Because they are going to be so plainly spoken that you're going to be brought to the crossroads of either I'm going to go with Jesus or I'm going to go with the world. One of those two options, okay? So, I like the fact that I've trapped you in this room to get you to this point, all right? Let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that your spirit does speak. We thank you that you love us in your son. And I pray over these next few minutes as we open up your word that you would guard our hearts from ourselves. That you would allow us just to open the doors to, to listening to what you would say. And then secondly, putting those things into practice. Father, in faith we believe that you haven't just offered us another option, but you have, you have offered us the healthiest and the best and the option that leads us to joy and peace. So we love you and we thank you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so I told you last week, uh, Luke 6, uh, can, can this portion of Luke 6 can... Uh, is sometimes associated with Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, sometimes people think the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that what we find here in Luke 6 is just uh, Luke's version of that, uh, or it could be a separate setting, but, but Jesus just kind of moves us along. In fact, he goes this, he says, But I say to you who hear, and this is in verse 27, But I say to you who hear, then he gives us a command. Okay? Love your enemies. And right there, I can see it in your face. Nope, I'm out. It says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. 
to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Then he says in verse 32, if you, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who, uh, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But, verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in Return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. And then he gives us a glimpse into the Father's heart. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Okay, so if you feel like you got a pretty good handle on that, you're welcome to go ahead and walk out the door. Um... But, but here's what I know. I know that our world loves to talk about love. Uh, we, we, we tr- they try to attempt to um, redefine what love is. We try to redefine what love looks like. And to many extents, uh, love has become really one of the cheapest words that we have in our, in our language. We, we say this quite a bit around here, right? That, that in the same breath, I can say I love pizza and I love my spouse. Um, now, I don't care how good the pizza is, it can't be to the same level of love that I should hold for my spouse. Uh, and so, so, so because love is so little understood, it's, it's almost impossible to find it correctly. Um, but love tends to remain the justification for, for just about anything people wish to do. And so, 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 so here comes a, a great moral teacher, right? This is what we have in Jesus, but he's more than that. Uh, but we have this great moral teaching, and if Jesus has taught us anything in the Bible, uh, he taught us the truth about love. He, he shows us in his teaching, he shows us in his death on the cross, he, the nature and the scope of, of divine love. And the Lord calls us, um, calls his disciples to live out that love in, in really two surprising ways in this passage. But before we get there, um, let, let's hopefully find some common ground on, on our chief issues uh, for when it, with what we're being asked to do in verses 27 through 36. Because we're living in a time where it just seems to get, and I don't know, this might just be old man Geary speaking, uh, but, but we live in a time where it seems easier and easier to allow hate to navigate the celebrations of our hearts. That, that there are some very real and very evil things happening in our world, and our nation, in our state, in our city, and, and in our neighborhoods. I mean, we, we have things, atrocities, like, like human trafficking, and, and molestation of children, and mass murders, and, and very real oppression uh, that, that is happening in this moment as I speak. And, and the result is that, that, I, that I find myself in conflict with my own self on what I want God to do. Um, 
Because I, I find myself, in, in light of, of so many current events, praying for vengeance much more frequently than I do salvation. Uh, that, that it's almost like if I can convince God to control people's actions, then I can care little about their hearts. And, and here's, here's at the root of the issue, that the Bible doesn't say that the heavens rejoice when sinners go to hell. It says that the, sin, that the heavens rejoice when a sinner repents and puts their trust in Jesus. And so, so if we celebrate the punishment of evil, which I get, I get sounds strange here, okay? But if, but if our pursuit and our posture is to celebrate uh, the punishment of evil, I'm left wondering, okay, do we really understand what we want God to do with our time on this earth? And, and I think therein lies the difficulty of, of love, Right? Uh, and this is what Jesus refers to here, because, because love comes easily when it, when it comes to our friends and our family and, uh, like we say from time to time, like puppy dogs, right? But, but what do we do when that, that friend betrays or uh, that, that family, uh, that, that relative harms us or that puppy just continues to pee on the living room floor over and over and over again? Or more accurately, what do we do with this thing called love when it collides with people who have inflicted wounds so deep that you struggle to believe there will be a day uh, that will ever come that that wound will even begin to mend? Or, or if, if their constant onslaught leads us to believe that, that we call them, we classify them, I should say, as enemies. What do we... What do we do about those things? Now, luckily, the Bible teaches us about those things, right? It's as almost, it's almost as if Jesus knew we would be dealing with certain matters in life. And he wants to prepare us for them. So, so let's be honest. If we, can learn, if we can learn to treat our enemies in love, then almost every other relationship we would we have comes much easier. Uh, we're much more compassionate. We're much more um, loving towards those if we can learn to love our enemies. And this is why Jesus invades Luke 6 by telling his disciples to live out love in two surprising ways. He says, when you live out love, the first surprise is the question, whom are we to love? And he says, your enemies. And the world says, what? Verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies enemies. Hatred for your enemies feels like the most natural thing in the world, right? Uh, it, it's almost um, seems as if enemies were made for hatred. Uh, they harm us, and then we should at least get the opportunity to harden our hearts towards them, right? Um, and at most, uh, what we should get to do is um, a little bit worse than what they did to us, just to teach them a lesson, right? Uh, and, and, and so, so we tell ourselves and we tell others that, that retaliation is, is only right and it's only fair, right? In fact, we've heard this phrase over and over again, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so it, it, it's that, is that not the way our world works? Is that not a, a morally acceptable thinking, way of thinking in our day? But, but heaven's morality differs radically. And so again, if, if you are in Christ, you have agreed to sign up to a different way of living and a different way of thinking. Now, if you're outside of Christ, you can continue in, I guess, in this permission, but, but the Bible will tell you it's an empty promise. It, it leads you to an empty spot. 
And so, so, so we are called to be more. Not, not just to be indifferent to our enemies, but to love them. Because that's, that's kind of what we will tend to do. That's one of our coping skills, right? Well, if I, if I just never have to see them again, then everything's okay. But the problem is, just not seeing them to, again is not what Jesus has asked us to do, right? Just being indifferent to a person. Now, forget the fact that some people you can't be, you, you can't just walk away from them. Because you might be married to some of them. Or you might be living in the same house with some of them. You might show up on Thanksgiving and Christmas with some of them. So he says, love your enemies. And then Jesus further explains in verses 32 to 34 that, that our love for people like us in one sense is kind of it's, it's worthless when it comes to this argument, right? Uh, that, that love for people like us does nothing to distinguish us from people who don't know God. Uh, that there exists a kind of love that is completely natural to the fallen world. Uh, in fact, even sinners love their friends and families and they lend money to the people they like. And, and if we love those who love us and do good to those only who do good to us and lend to those who can repay, then we're really acting out of some sort of a, a self-interest rather than, than love. And what Jesus says is even sinners do that. Even sinners play the game of transactional relationships. In other words, people who, who do not know God and do not live for God demonstrate this kind of love all the time. There's nothing supernatural about it. And, and now if we find ourselves, if we find, I should say, that our love is limited to people like us, uh, so we can, we can just run through the gauntlet, right? Like our skin color, education level, political party, and if we find ourselves doing good only for those who have done uh, us some favor, then, then that's simply some sort of self-love that's spreading itself out in a slightly wider area. And so, so however, the love of God is, is not self-interested, but it's selfless. So, so, so it's sacrificial. God-like love includes our enemies who wrong us and even abuse us. And you say, that doesn't make any sense. And to a degree, I'm with you. But we're reading the same verses, right? This is, how, this is how Christian love surpasses the sinner's love. That Christian love is extended to the enemy in a desire that they would repent and they would come to Jesus. That's why we're being asked to love our enemies. So this brings us to our, our second surprising thing that Jesus teaches about love. So, so the question that typically follows when it comes to... Um, hey, I'm being abused or I'm being afflicted by an enemy. How, how far do we let this go, God? What's the agreed-upon line where I can say, all right, I don't have to worry about this anymore? And all Jesus says here is that you would love your enemies and you would give them even more. <laughs> even more. Notice how far love goes here. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Now here's what I know about this. Offering the other cheek still hurts, right? You're like, I don't know, that hurt the first time, why would I line up for the second time? And yet, for some reason, Jesus says, 
offer the other cheek. And for the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, don't demand them back. And so, so here's what we know. That, that love makes demands. That love cannot be shown in words only. We must love in both word and in deed. And godly love returns good for evil. That's, that's what's happening. Because that's, that's the basis of our story. We're, I was talking to the teens about this on Wednesday night. That, that you just go Ephesians 2. We could, we could live just years upon years in Ephesians 2. Because it tells our story. It tells our story about when we were hostile towards God. And that because He loves us. Not because he, we earned this right. But because He loves us, He moves in our direction in Jesus. And the simple truth of the gospel is that we would live in the response of that truth in every single circumstance and in every single way for the rest of our lives. That when you were at your worst, God sends Jesus into your story. Your worst. Which should bring a lot of us some relief today in this room. Because because God doesn't just take us when we've cleaned up our act and when we get it everything together and we've we've cut our hair the way God wants us to and we 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 tie our shoes the way God wants us to no that when we are at our absolute worst Paul will say when you were hostile towards God he displays his love for you in sending Jesus and all we're being asked to do I'm sorry ask is not a fair word all we're being told to do, it's not an option, is to live in the response of that very moment. That's our story. So, so we hated God and He loved us. So people hate us and we do good to them. People curse us, we bless them. People abuse us, we pray for them. Godly love calls us to lay down our lives. And I know that's hard to hear and it's hard to say they strike us on the cheek we offer the other cheek they 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 take away our coats we give them the shirts off of our backs too they they beg from us we give to everyone without requiring payback we walk down the streets populated with beggars and we reach the end of that street penniless for the glory of god and when we love our enemies we give up we give ourselves up for them in this, this beautiful way of displaying the love of God. So the world's morality says, okay, love your friends, hate your enemies. Right? And that's what we, we, we've been walking in that mindset from the time we entered school, right? Love your friends, hate your enemies. And, and Jesus comes in and he says, love your enemies and give them even more. And now, now, now that we hear Jesus tell us whom to love and how far we're to love them, I think a fair question is to simply ask this, and we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but why? Why love this way? And now we don't have to go far to find the answer to that because Jesus gives us two reasons why we love this way. That number one is because this is how we would want to be treated. That somehow returning love for hate is done in this effort of saying, hey, there is a better way. There is another path 
to choose. And I'm choosing the way of love. It says, in fact, 30, verse 31, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And so love puts us in the place of the mistreated. Puts us in the place of the oppressed and the marginalized. And it, it calls us to imagine that state for ourselves and then behave accordingly. Like, like when you are experiencing an attack from an enemy, ask yourself, does this feel good? And then if this doesn't feel good to me, then why would I want to make them feel as equally bad? Because again, it goes back to, well, it's just fair, right? And the problem is that, that fairness ended a long time ago. It did. Like, I, that might be one of my favorite lines in the house. The fairness ended in the garden. Because what we deserved, what would be fair to us, is not the love of God, but the wrath of God. So he says, you know, we love this way because it's how we would want to be treated. But then secondly, because doing so leads us to a great reward. And it, and it proves that we are God's children. Jesus will say that. Jesus will tell his disciples uh, in the upper room, like, man, you, you put your love on display because it's the way that people know that you're mine. Uh, in fact, uh, verse 35, uh, but love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. So there, there's a promise from God on the other side of this response, right? And now that's typically one of the arguments that we bring to the table. Like, wait, wait, you're telling me to love these guys, but, but I, don't, I don't get anything from that? And he's like, no, 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 you do. So we come back to where we were last week and with this, this argument between instant gratification and, and delayed gratification, right? Because he says the kingdom of God is yours. So the, so the future promise and the current reward is that we get to walk in the presence of God now. And so he says, he says, your reward will be great. And so if you're not motivated by anything else other than the reward, Jesus promises a reward when we act this way. But then to me, the bigger part is it says, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. We're going to come back to that. So, so as Christians, we, we should want the world to know that we serve the Most High God. That they would be confused. They would be spellbound by your response in these circumstances. That, that, that we want the world to know that we know Him and He knows us. That, that the main way God intends the world to know this is by our love for for one another. So just spend some time in John 13 this week and you can see that. And then secondly, for, for our love for others, including our enemies. So, so when we love this way, we live out just a simple family resemblance. And when we act, our, when we act like our Father, it pleases Him and then it rewards us. And so, so I think, as, as we start wrapping up, that, that loving our enemies seems... Utterly unnatural and impossible until we consider examples of it. Right? Because isn't that kind of, as, as we were growing up as children and teens, we, we expected whatever our parents told us to do, that they were either willing to do it or have done that before. And I think we carry similar arguments with our Heavenly Father. We're like, well, 
I hear you saying that, but nobody else in the world can do that. And so what we have is, is the greatest example of this kind of love uh, coming strictly from Jesus himself, right? Uh, for whom did Jesus die? For whom did, did he suffer? So, so the Lord was crucified at the hands of his enemies. Now I should say, I should be careful about how I say that because I don't think he viewed them as enemies. In fact, I think, I was talking to a pastor friend about this the other day, I think um, to a large extent, um, Paul, when he says that, that our battle is not flesh between flesh and blood, but against principalities of light and darkness, I think that's the enemy. I think we have a very real enemy, and I think he has very real demons, right? But, but I think typically what we consider enemies when it comes to our relationships, it's just more conflicts. It's what it is. And so, so when I say, you know, that Jesus dies for his enemies, I don't think Jesus viewed himself, viewed them as his enemy. I think, I think they viewed Jesus as their enemies. But the very, so he dies for the very people who put him to death, uh, where they, they were the people that he came to save, right? They mocked him, they abused him, and Jesus prays for them, Father, forgive them, because they know not what they do. They, they whipped him and they beat him. And Jesus never says a mumbling word, but, but gave his body to be broken for them and then for us. They, they took his tunic and they took his robe and they stripped him naked and he willingly allows it. He did not demand his rights. He did not demand repayment. He did not even offer an apology. The Son of God gave his life for sinners so that even though they were hostile toward God, we might be made sons of God through faith in him. And when we were his enemies, Christ loves us. And by loving us, the Lord enables us to love him and love our enemies. And, and we love God because he first loves us, right? If you remember, uh, I think it was back last summer, or summer before last, we were in 1 John, and that's simply all 1 John 4.19 says, that, that God moves in our direction before we move in his and so, so we never, we never, never, never underestimate the redemptive power of love because it's changed everything. That the, so, so the application, I told you, this, this is kind of, it's unfair that Jesus would kind of sneak attack us like this, right? The application for love your enemies and do good to them is, is, is pretty simple. All right, you ready? You ready? This means that you would love your enemies and do good to them. That's the application. And you say, well, you don't understand. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have to. I didn't write the book. The application, it's, it's, it's painfully simple that you would bless them. That you would pray for them. That you would endure their mistreatment. That you would give to your enemies and you would expect nothing back. And so, so you make a, a mental or an actual list of people that you think of, which you've been doing, right? Right? And that, some of that's just you and then some of that's the Holy Spirit bringing these things to light in your own heart. And so you're like, you know, I really don't like that guy. I really don't like that lady. I really don't like this circumstance. That we would Think of these things 
and then we would do these things. I told you, it's, it's a hard crossroads, right? Or not even a crossroad, it's, it's, a, it's a T. Either I can trust the world or I can trust Jesus. One of those has to be right. And I think not, it's really not even one of those things. I think Jesus is the only right way. Because I think the world will, will consistently change the rules of the game to suit whatever desires it wants to, to find. So I've been stuck in this passage and for about the, last, the la- about the last week or so on the last half of verses 35 into 36. Because it says, And you will be sons of the Most High. And then he gives us a glimpse into the heart of the Father. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And he says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And now, to me, this is where I get the best understanding for why and how. Because he doesn't say that we would do these things um, because it's just cool to do them. He says, he says you do these things because you, you show, your again, your family resemblance. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, which if you were in Christ, that was you. Okay? Again, curl up, Ephesians 2, you can live in that. He is kind to the ungrateful. And so we are merciful because He is merciful. And I wonder sometimes in our world if, if we're willing to be merciful anymore. I wonder sometimes in, in our world if the church is willing to embrace mercy that is undeserved. You with Right? You get, you get pulled over today for, for speeding. Let's say you were actually speeding. Right? What you're looking for is mercy because you were guilty. You did it. You can't get upset with the officer for giving you a speeding ticket when you were actually speeding. But what you're relying on is his mercy or her mercy. I'm guilty, but I'm asking you to let me off the hook here. And that's what God has shown us in Jesus. And then he says, as you walk in that, live that truth out for the rest of your life. That's why, that's why we don't get to pick and choose who we forgive and who we don't forgive. Jesus says, says, your willingness to forgive, your willingness to bless those who curse you, to, to pour out, to pray for those who abuse you, is a direct reflection of what I have done in your life. And so I dare say, as I wrap up, is that if you don't do these things, okay? I say this with all amount of love. If you don't do these things, I think there's a good chance you don't really know Jesus. You with? I'm not saying you can't have this internal conflict, and I can't say you can't bring arguments to the table, but at the end of the day, when you walk out of that room, it's His way. It is. I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. All right, as we wrap up, let me, let me make a couple things. There will be some people on this side of the room. If you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. Um, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we believe he is the only way to may, be made right with, the, with our Heavenly Father. He is. And if you have questions about that, we want to walk with you. If you're ready to make that decision, we want to celebrate with you. I'm not a good dancer, but I'll dance with you. All right?
I love you guys. Let me, let me pray us out and then you'll be dismissed. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you love us and that you care for us and that you're willing to talk through these hard moments for us. And so, Father, as we prayed, as we sang earlier, that your Holy Spirit just rest on us. I pray that, that he would do that. That He would walk with us into some of the most painful parts of our hearts. And that our motivation would be to please You. And to reflect to a world a love that makes no sense to them. We thank You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless. You're dismissed.